be present where God does something unprecedented so that all of a sudden your faith goes through the roof and you're like, man, I'm just hungry for more. What's the next big kingdom moment? And you take that and you bring it home locally and now you're doing it locally and, and you're just recycling this, this faith diet that just gets bigger and you just get fat in faith. And you're just, you're just chowing on those faith Twinkies and you're yeah. just, man, you're just <laughs> growing leaps and bounds. And that's, that's what I would say to somebody, get in the word, get aware of the promises that belong to you. Start praying that prophetically look for a kingdom opportunity to be a part of something that, that gives you that faith shot. That is like a explosion. It's like a Z pack of faith. It's just massive, you know, penicillin of faith in your body all of a sudden. And then you, in order to possess the things that you get by exposure and by promise, you have to activate them on a regular basis. Welcome to the Almost Apostolic Podcast. I'm your host, Anissa, and this podcast is designed to share the backstories and testimonies of beautiful ministry-minded people. I hope you laugh, and I hope you learn that we are all striving for perfection in an imperfect world as people of faith. So join me every other week as I interview a few familiar folks and hopefully some you may not know. <sighs> okay, I'm trying to think of a unique introduction besides this is my favorite person or this is one of my favorite people, <laughs> but I can't get away from that. I just love the Robinette family. Um, so I'm here with Charles Robinette. How are you? Humbled, honored to be here. Glad to be here. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. And I want you to have a better intro for me because I've heard your podcast. I know what you say about everybody else. So I want to at least use some different adjective. Okay. This is a <laughs> mesmerizing. I don't know. You have never used that word. Okay. So that's good. Mesmerizing human being that I'm with today on Almost Apostolic. So we have Almost Apostolic, and you are radically apostolic. I want to get into your book as soon as possible. But before I do that, I want an entire overview of your life from birthplace all the way to right now where we're at today. Take it away. Well, I was born in Ypsilanti, Michigan and St. Joe's Hospital, which another uh, interesting uh, point about that is that's where my wife was born as well. I didn't know her back then, of course, uh, but I she was born in the same hospital and I wasn't raised in the church. My parents um, got the Holy Ghost in Ypsilanti, Michigan uh, with uh, Tent Revival, I believe is what it was, under uh, Pastor Bill Mix. And then when we were born, um, at some point they backslid and moved to Chicago, Illinois, where my dad owned a bar on the south side of Chicago. And my mom uh, worked at the Sears Tower. Now, I don't think it's called Sears Tower anymore, but she worked there. And... We weren't raised in the church, weren't raised in this faith. And I guess it would have been when I was about 13 years old was when I attended a, a Pentecostal church service for the first time, uh, which it wasn't really a Pentecostal church service. It was a funeral. Um, my dad had known somebody at the, the Ypsilanti, Michigan church and wanted to go there for this funeral. And so I drove from Chicago with my dad to, to this funeral, which is where I met sister Robinette for the first time. She was 11 years old and she was standing on the platform singing at this funeral and love at first sight. I saw her, I wanted to marry her instantly. I was 13. She was 11. And I told the usher at the front door, I said, I don't know who that girl is, but I am marrying her one day. And it was her uncle who was the usher. And I was a skater kid from Chicago, long hair, looking like a knucklehead. And uh, the usher looked at me and said, nah, you're not, bro. You're never going to marry that girl. Um, and that same day, I asked Sister Robinette to marry me, but she said no. So she took a while to get spiritual enough to realize the call of God upon her life. Uh, but no, I met her. She was 11. I was 13. And we didn't get into church at that point. But a year later, uh, my dad, and my mom, their life kind of started just getting really bad. And when it got bad, 
they remembered where it was good. And they drove us back to Ypsilanti. And on a Sunday morning, I was sitting on the second row of that church in Ipsy when an evangelist was preaching. And when he got to preaching, he lit my young heart on fire. And before he finished preaching, I was standing in the altar speaking with other tongues. I got baptized in Jesus' name the same day. And the rest really is history. I, I went to Bible school at 17 and got a little disillusioned to be very transparent and backslid in Bible school and left Bible school and joined the United States Air Force. This time I'm drinking, I'm sideways, I'm, I'm not serving God. Um, and for whatever reason, um, my pastor, Brother Bill Nix, um, felt like um, the Lord said that he was supposed to not stop me from marrying Sister Robinette. And so I came back after military training. I went through uh, different segments of military training. And after that, the end training before I was to be deployed to the Middle East, um, I came back, married Sister Robinette. And long story short, I didn't wind up going to the Middle East, but I did wind up in Germany. And when I got to Germany, God turned our life totally around. Um, I prayed back through the Holy Ghost, stopped drinking, got my life in, in order, and the rest is history. We've been overseas now 28 years. Were you stationed near Baumholder? My dad was stationed in yeah, Baumholder. Yeah, okay. I, was, I was stationed at Ramstein Air Base, but you know, one of the first bases that I ever preached at. So when I got back in the church and got prayed back through to the Holy Ghost, and I was under Brother Arley Enos at the time, even though I was stationed at Ramstein Air Base, when I started preaching, Brother Enos wanted me to go out and preach at some of the other military installations. And one of the first places he took me to was the Bombholder Chapel. And I preached in the Bombholder Chapel. And uh, when I got, um, when I requested or applied to be a part of the unit that, um, that Colin Powell was in charge of, when I applied for that unit, I wound up doing a great season of training on bomb holder with the U.S. Army and uh, and at Fort Dix as well with the U.S. Army. Wow. Yeah. Small world. Germany will change your life, people. If Forever. You <laughs> Forever. Plug for Germany. Not that we <laughs> need it, but anyway. Okay, so now I want to jump into your book, Radically yes, Apostolic. It is not your first book, is it? Well, that's that's quite funny, actually. It was not the first book I wrote. Mm -hmm. uh, when we got stranded in Berlin, Germany during COVID, and they had shut down the airports and they had shut down the borders, and we were we were there, the Lord spoke to me and said, um, you're going to start writing. And so we had 18 months stranded in Germany where we were shut away by the Lord. We couldn't travel, couldn't leave the country. And so... I started sitting, you know, we had this apartment, this 600 square foot apartment in Berlin, Germany, and I would sit down at the table every morning and write for eight hours. And so I started writing and the first book I wrote was a book called What You Meant for Evil, which has not yet published. Um, so I started writing this book and I would sit at the table writing every day, eight hours, weeping and reliving all of the painful moments of ministry and the hurt and the brokenness and the moments where I thought just it would never be better. And I was reliving all of this pain and I was weeping and I was in this really uh, difficult state, but I was writing every day. And um, in the midst of that brokenness and hurt, my wife called my pastor and said, you know, he's in a very bad place. He's he's reliving all of this and it's just all coming back to life. And it's it's just you got to help him. And so my pastor called me and he said, I don't want you writing any more about pain. He said, tomorrow morning when you get up, I want you to start writing about kingdom vision and kingdom revival and how to be apostolic. And so the next morning I got up and I just started writing. And so six months later, this book was was written, and when I closed the last chapter of that book, um, you know, it was it was just a big moment where going from writing about 
the seasons of pain to the seasons of victory was a game changer, wow. game changer. So in your process of writing a book, because what I took away from this incredible <laughs> book is oh that you have a very interesting way. It just flows in a very interesting way. It's like the perfect trio of what you should do as an apostolic person, yes, what you have lived through as an apostolic individual mm -hmm. and then Bible to back it up. Like That's it's true. just perfectly woven like a three chord braid with all those things throughout the entire book. So was that intentional or is that just some kind of groove you fell into or how does that work in the I'm, writing process? I'm very humbled that you uh, feel so blessed by the book. And I'm also humbled by the things that you have, you know, uh, spoken about how it was woven together like this, but to be very transparent, I was in uh, Virginia uh, preaching the UPC Virginia camp meeting. And at the end of the Friday night service, when I finished preaching, I was sitting at this pastor's banquet and I'm sitting with this pastor, a uh, great leader named Brother Robinson and him and his precious wife are sitting with me talking about, um, you know, they wanted me to tell them stories tell us testimonies, tell us about. And so I'm sitting there talking with them and sister Robinson said, the Robinette, why have you not written a book? You've got to write a book. And in my mind, I thought, number one, I'm not a college graduate. I don't have the skill set to write a book. I don't have, you know, academically, I'm not made up for that. You know, it didn't make sense to me. How do you do this? And, and how does a nobody from nowhere write a book, you know, it just didn't make sense. And so I gave Brother Robinson and Sister Robinson all the excuses and they made this statement to me, which was so crazy. They said, Brother Robinette, just sit down and write six pages a day. Just write your heart. Let it just flow. Let your heart flow from you. Let whatever, when those six pages are done, you're done. So he told me, he said, what you should do is um, you know, talk to the Lord when the Lord tells you what your book's going to be called and what the titles are going to be now sit down and get three really cool statements about each chapter, get a verse about each chapter, and then just start writing every chapter. Well, that just sounded so ridiculously simple. And so that's what I did. I prayed and I said, okay, God, you want a book? I want the title of the book. I want the chapters in the book. And, and then from there, I'll go ahead and, and start writing what you would give me just as if I'm preaching. And that's how it came out. And same thing with what you meant for evil, even though it hasn't post, uh, published yet. And the other book that I'm working on right now as well, it hasn't published, but they are all very similar in the structure of, of the chapters and the layout of each chapter and the, the way I write for whatever reason. It just happened that way. And every, I think that every book that I write in the future will be similar in layout just because it was the way the Lord made me. Yeah. There's two chapters of your book I want to talk about because I have like notes and highlights and I'm just like, <laughs> you need this if you want to thrive as an apostolic person. We'll start with submission, radical mm. submission. Mm. I struggle with that. And sometimes I wonder if that is why I am a single human being, oh. <laughs> because it's a lot in my mind. I, I don't know how I can describe it, but I have a very, like, if I do wrong, I kind of withdraw. Like it's just sure. something that, or if something doesn't go my way, I tend to withdraw. And it's just sure. like, I, I don't know how it's going to work out. So let me just like shut up and not do anything about it. And I find myself affected in a negative way when it comes to sure. things like that. And it's just like the Lord's like, I don't need you in the choir to have a move. You know, like I can, yeah. I, I understand that. But for me, it's just like, if I don't get what I want or things aren't happening in my timing, I tend to like just shut down. And I feel like that's not submission. I feel like submission is yeah. doing what you're supposed to do whether you like it or not, but the yeah. attitude behind it has to yeah. be 
there it has to be right and i just sometimes i just can't sure can't get a right attitude with it so when it comes to submission why was it so important for you to get radical about it? sure well i think i think if you the human nature hates the word submission okay so let's just i mean deal with the elephant in the room we hate authority okay it doesn't sit well it doesn't stomach well it doesn't you know, we don't want somebody telling us what to do, how to do it, when to do it, why to do it. That's the reality of the human spirit and human nature, which is totally contrary to the kingdom spirit, kingdom nature and kingdom identity, kingdom identity. And even every kingdom victory is born out of the contrary apprehension of this love for what the flesh hates submission. Okay, so I think as a young man who grew up in downtown Chicago, who grew up on a bar stool, who, you know, just hated authority for me, I didn't have room to play with submission. If you give the enemy an inch, he always takes a mile, always. So for me, as a young man, if I was going to be what God wanted me to be, I had to be either all in or I knew I would be all out. That's just the reality. And I really do think that is the reality for everybody in the kingdom of God. If you are going to be what God wants you to be, you have to be all in or you will be all out. There's no little middle ground. There's no such thing as having one foot halfway in. One, It's not like that. When it comes to kingdom things, miracles, signs, wonders, the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, the gifts of the spirit. You are never going to apprehend any of the, the, the kingdom offices and kingdom giftings unless you are 100% all in with submission. You will never have it because you are a catastrophe waiting to happen if you are halfway into the kingdom. You will destroy yourself. And the reality is, more importantly, you will destroy others. You can never accomplish greatness in the kingdom of God being lukewarm with submission. You have got to be all in. And now let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the reality of of the human spirit. And so when you feel this, you know, oh my gosh, I didn't do it right. Oh my goodness, um, I've fallen short. What you're talking about is the spirit of shame. So shame comes upon you, which is a a complete contrary to, to the gift of Christ, which is conviction. So conviction pushes you to an altar and pushes you to greater involvement, but shame and condemnation pushes you a further away. I want to be a recluse now. I'm going to put myself apart because I'm ashamed. Okay, so you, you're being played by the enemy. We are being played by the enemy when we when we pivot to this condemnation and shame instead of conviction to consecration. We have literally been played. And so he gets us to back into a corner where now we can't be hurt anymore. And now nobody, nobody, nobody knows my failures. Nobody knows what I've done wrong. I can, I'm, I'm in a safe place because now I'm hidden. I'm secret. But really, the safe place is so that the enemy can devour you. It's the, it's the play of the enemy. He is that roaring lion. And so a lion doesn't attack a pack because a pack beats him down. But a lion who has played that pack until one person gets drifted and drifts out of the safety of that group, now he can pounce and win. And so you have to understand the play of the enemy is shame and condemnation when the play of the kingdom is conviction to to consecration, which produces power and authority. And so for me, when I was in the U.S. military, my commander always said, I don't care whether whether the accusation against you is right or wrong. It's irrelevant. How you respond to that determines whether you excel or whether you fail. And so my commander said, don't give me excuses. Give me change. And so my military makeup automatically said, 
it doesn't matter what somebody said to me. It doesn't matter whether they're right or whether they're wrong. It doesn't even matter whether they have the whole story. When I made my decision that I was going to serve God with all my heart, I also made the decision to stop making excuses and just do better, be better, speak better, do better. Whatever I have to do to be sure that I don't get backed into that corner and where I hide myself so that I can be devoured by the enemy. If I have to accept responsibility for things that were not really my fault, even if there are points that could defend me or, or even just maybe deflect a little bit of the blame for this failure, I refuse to be that man because the reality is if I become that man who defends myself, I take myself out from underneath the umbrella of the defense of God. And the reality is this, if I defend myself, God will let me and I will lose every time. But if I say, you know what? I'm the guy, I'm David, I'm the man, I made the mistake. I fell short, but you know what? You're not getting an excuse from me. You're going to get better from me. I'm going to be a better man, a better husband, a better father, a better Christian, a better apostolic, because I don't want to miss any good thing in the kingdom. If I got to suck it up and press on and be better, I'm going to do it. And that's really, that's what God is calling the kingdom to just do better. Stop making excuses for lack of consecration. Stop making excuses for, you know, the shortcomings. Just do better. Just be more consecrated. I love this church. I really do. FPC is one of my favorite places in the world. I love what they're, the heartbeat of this church is prayer. Uh, that's Bishop Holmes. You know, I've had him on my podcast and he comes on and that guy just, you know, he just starts crying and praying and then the whole podcast is <laughs> yeah. over. You know, you're, yeah. you're like, Oh my goodness. You know, well, he just lives it, breathes it. And I think that there's the heartbeat of this church is just that spirit of prayer that, that draws you not to hide in a corner, but to consecrate further, which brings out the best of the kingdom. And so I think, you know, for the kingdom of God in this hour, which to me is there's this voice in, of the spirit that's saying, go deeper, be more, be better, apprehend the gifts of the spirit, walk in the fivefold ministry, see kingdom expansion where billions are added to the church and billions repent and billions are, are filled with the Holy Ghost and billions are baptized in Jesus name and billions become disciples of Christ. There's this, this, this call of the spirit to these deeper places. You don't find them hiding in a corner. The deeper places are found in that consecration, that accepting of responsibility. Even when you can deflect blame, you say, you know what? I'm David. I'm the guy. Yep. It's me. I'm the one who made the mistake. I can do better and I will do better and I'm going to do better with deeper consecration. <laughs> you have just segued beautifully into my next uh, topic that I want to talk about, which is radical prayer, because mm -hmm. I'm in a yep. very strange place when it comes to prayer. I find myself at like a two way street. Right. And then sure. I look here to the left and it's like, Lord, this is what I want. Do I just tell him A to Z and I just kind of pack it up and just let it flutter up to heaven and just say, okay, there you go. Now, you know, and then I'm at a place where I'm like, uh, I'm like physically like a psychopath. And I just say like, <laughs> Lord, this is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want every single day. Like, do I pray that like this? I know he heard me the first time, yeah. but do I constantly stand at the door and knock or do I just give it to him and be done with it? I don't really know which route to take when it comes to yeah. certain prayers that I I'm sending up to heaven. Sure. <laughs> so it's just like, what is your sure. recommendation when it comes to? Well, I don't think you have to pick and choose. Yeah. I think the Lord cares as much about your personal life as he cares about the kingdom. Um, I do think he cares about both. I think he cares 
as much about the things that that you are in your heart. I, I want these things, Lord. It's something that really matters to me. I think the Lord loves us enough to entertain both our prayers for his kingdom and our prayers for for our personal life as well. And so to be very, you know, completely transparent, I pray prophetically every day, not just the kingdom, but I pray prophetically for my family as well. The things that 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 I want for my daughters, for my wife, for my um for our finances, for um I pray prophetically for those things. And I think this is the the missing link in kingdom prayer. Um, people know how to pray and the fact that they know that they need to have an appointed time. They know that they need to spend time with the Lord. They know that consecration with the Lord matters. But for whatever reason, this prophetic prayer has just escaped the, the masses in the kingdom. And this is something that I believe God is bringing a spirit of revelation about in these last days is praying prophetically the things that are not as if they already are. Now, to be even more transparent, when I pray prophetically, I start with the, the kingdom, the things that matter to the king. I start with the kingdom. I get up in the mornings. I go throughout my day. I'm always praying prophetically. I, I prophesy that the harvest in the city of Little Rock, Arkansas. I prophesy millions are going to be added to the church. I prophesy we're going to fill that stadium. I've talked to Pastor Nathan about it. I want I want to be in that stadium one day. I want to be here with Pastor Nathan and Bishop Holmes when we fill that stadium in Little Rock, Arkansas, and they have a day of Pentecost in this city. So when I pass that stadium, Every time I'm driving and I pass it, I point out that window and I prophesy, I prophesy, we're going to fill that stadium and multitudes, multitudes of thousands are going to be added to the church in that stadium. And we're going to have a day of Pentecost multiplied in that stadium. So I start my day out praying, whatever city I'm in, wherever I am, I'm praying for the kingdom first, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is. So I am loosing the things that are not as if they already are. I'm speaking the things that are not as if they already are. But I always transition in my prayer to praying prophetically for my family. God, I prophesy that you're going to send preachers to marry my daughters. That if you tarry, that you're going to send apostolic preachers apostolic preachers that operate in the gifts of the spirit, apostolic preachers that operate in the fivefold ministry, apostolic preachers who are not insecure, apostolic preachers who I pray these things for my daughters. I speak that which is not as if it already is. I speak over their purity. I speak over their, their, their prayer lives. I, I address their finances. I pray prophetically over my daughter's finances and they don't even have finances, right? Their finances are my finances. Right. And trust me, Bree Bree knows how to find my finances. I mean, she is a, oh, that one is a little, she's, uh, I better be careful what I say. She might listen to this one day, but she has figured out how to manipulate herself into my finances. And, and so, but I pray for their finances and I pray for my finances as a family. And I, I pray prophetically, God, I prophesy, I prophesy kingdom re resources for kingdom things. I prophesy personal resources for personal things. I, I speak these things on a daily basis. And sister Ford, I think you should do the same thing. I think you should make a list of the things that you want from the Lord and don't ask God for them. That's the handicap in the kingdom is that we ask where we're, we're Brother Cole told me something years ago, and I know 50% of your crowd will disagree with everything I'm about to say. And that's the, they have the right to have their own opinion. I'm not attacking them. But Brother Cole one time said to me, he said, how do you pray for the gifts of the spirit? And I said, well, I, I, I do this and I do that. He said, show me. And I got down on my knees in his living room and I started saying, God, give me this and God, give me that and do this and do that. And Brother Cole started laughing and mocking me as I was praying. And he said, if that's how you pray, you'll never have anything. 
He said, but if you start prophesying it, he said, here's the problem. When you ask God for something, you're telling God, I don't have it. And you're telling the enemy, I don't have it. But when you start to prophesy it, you're saying, enemy, I got it. I know it's mine. And God, I think I got it. It's mine. And now God has to do something because you've already seeded the atmosphere with that, which is not as if it already is. And so I think it's important that we change the way we pray from a begging mentality to a confirming mentality. Do you think the lack of prophetic prayers is in correlation with a lack of faith? Oh, 100%. 100%. And the lack of faith is because of a lack of knowledge of the promises of God. And so when God's people, and I tell people this all the time, when God's people go ahead and your first step needs to be make a list of all the promises of God that you want to see fulfilled in your life. Make a list of them. Put up pages. I've got pages in my phone. I've got pages of prophetic prayers that I pray where I just open up my phone and I start going through them. God, I prophesy this over my kids. I pro prophesy the prayer of Jabez over my kids and over my wife, over our finances. I, I have a list of promises of God that cannot fail that I prophesy on a daily basis. And because I have knowledge of the prophetic word of God, the promises of God that seeds my spirit with the certainty that when I say this, it shall come to pass. So your beginning point is a knowledge of the word because that word is what creates faith. Then because you are praying the word, you begin to get these experiences where God confirms the word and every experience adds a notch of faith in your belt so now you're not going backwards, but you're going forwards and you begin to live faith to faith, promise to promise, confirmation to confirmation. And you begin to see that God cannot fail and his word cannot fail. And so instead of having this uncertainty, well, I said it, but will it come to pass? You're living within an expectation of it's going to come to pass now. Now, if it doesn't happen now, I'm shocked. I struggle with faith so much because I am, I don't want to say I'm a self-made woman, <laughs> but I'm like so productive. And if I can't produce it with my hands or if I can't think it with my brain, then it can't be done. So it almost feels like not mockery, but it almost feels like whimsical. If I'm just like, Lord, you're going to give me this because mm. I want it. It just almost seems like. But if you can control it, God will let you. So that's the, that's the mistake we make is, well, it's like this with kingdom vision. Okay. If you think you have a vision from the Lord, but you can do it by yourself, that ain't kingdom vision. Any great thing in the kingdom is going to require the help of the master. You, you're, you're going to be a, a part of it, of course, but really he's going to do the work through you and sometimes in spite of you. Yeah. Um, and so the reality is, if, if you can control things and you're, you're committed to controlling them, God will just take his hands off and go, well, she don't need my help. She's got this all figured out. But if you take your hands off and you get a little whimsical about it and get a little faith about it and you just go, you know what, God, I don't have to do this because it's out of my control. I cannot do this. So I'm going to just go ahead and put this back in your hands. And because you are the father of creation and because you're the master of space and time and you can do all of these incredible things, you know, that's, that's when God can go, I'm, I'm excited now. I can, she's finally given up control. Now I can take control and watch this. Watch what I can do in a moment. You've been trying to do it for a decade and have failed. And now you realize you can't do it. Now watch what I can do in just a moment, in a word, in a word, I can speak and it's done. And I have noticed that a thousand times in my life when I finally take my hands off and quit trying to control things then God manifests and all of a sudden what took a decade for me to mess up, it takes a second for him to fix. I mean, I, I know, I hear you. I hear you. I absolutely hear you. It's just a lot as far as the control is involved and he's still it's working on me. It's intentional though, <laughs> intentional. And I agree. I understand what you're saying. It's a lot to make that transition, but 
being intentional about faith is very important. Somebody told me once, it's not faith until you're standing on a limb that can break. And I think that's true in almost everything in the kingdom. When it comes to kingdom things, when you stand in front of a crowd of of 30,000 people and you say, God is going to fill everybody in this crowd with the Holy Ghost today. Now you're on a limb that can break. If you say to the crowd of 30,000, the Lord's going to do something today. You haven't stepped out on any limb. You're in a safe place. But you get into the realm of faith, you're going to be on limbs that can break. And that's when God does his greatest work. A couple months ago, the last time you guys were here at Little Rock, I remember just whining to your amazing, incredible, phenomenal, beautiful wife and about just all my problems, all my woes. And I was just like, this is where I'm at and blah, blah, blah. And I don't know if you remember it or not, but you just stepped right up into the conversation and you told me that I was in like a spiritual cocoon. Do you remember that? that. Okay. And then you gave a serious word and i just i'm trying to get it here on record forevermore so i can just play it back and play it back and play it back but i don't really feel like oh lord i don't want to say it i know the lord has created everyone and everyone has a wonderful purpose in his kingdom but sometimes i do find myself going to sleep at night and one of my last thoughts is you forgot about me almost 8 billion people in the world. And I still don't feel like I'm doing anything beneficial. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm an apostolic person. Yes. I'm a teacher and I teach wonderful children every single day, but is that the only reason I'm alive Mm -hmm. or is there something else? I just futuristically, it's hard for me to see absolutely anything. So I always just feel kind of stuck. Like it almost doesn't matter what day it is. I already know what I'm going to do. I already know what I'm going to eat. I already know what I'm going to wear. And it's just like, why are these days happening? Like when is something different going to come into my life? And I don't really feel like Mm -hmm. value. I don't know. I don't really feel like I'm in a cocoon. I just kind of feel like one of those wind up toys that the Lord just spun and spun and spun is like, okay. So how does like, I don't. So let's break this down just a minute. Two things jumped into my spirit. Okay. Okay? So let's just, let's take a peek at this and try to just peel this onion just a little bit if we can. Two things, um, two things jump in my spirit. Number one, discerning between um, insecurity and hunger. Okay. Sometimes, you know, we feel insecure in ourselves which really is a trick of the enemy to devalue us, to get us feeling like the massive kingdom impact we're making is irrelevant and it's doing nothing. I'm just a, how do they say, a cog in a wheel. I'm I'm nothing. I'm, I'm literally accomplishing nothing. And so sometimes it's a trick. The enemy gets us to feel insecure. And so, And what happens when we're insecure, we just basically begin to become wallpaper. We're irrelevant. We do nothing because we believed we were nothing. And and yet sometimes there's a spiritual hunger that's welling up inside of us that's saying, it's not that I'm not doing something, but I just feel like there's more. God is drawing me. God is, and, and instead of becoming wallpaper where we become irrelevant, we're just stuck to the same old thing. Now that that hunger is causing us to to pivot towards deeper consecration where bigger things are born. So you can tell whether you're being tricked by the enemy by what you're becoming. Am I becoming more consecrated or am I becoming more wallpaper? And if it's a trick of the enemy, then you got to go stop it. I rebuke that in Jesus name. I'm not irrelevant to the kingdom. I am here for a purpose. I have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. If God knew Jeremiah before he was even out of the womb, if God ordained him a prophet to nations, which if that is the reality of the hour that before I was formed in the womb, God knew me and God ordained me to be a prophet to the nations. If if that is the case, that, that if... If I am just like Jeremiah, 
that God knows me and in the womb of my parents, he had ordained a kingdom purpose that was greater than that, that nations would be shaped by the words of my mouth. That I rebuke these lies of Satan and I am going to push myself into deeper consecration where the greater things of the spirit are born. And this, this is the most critical season of the church, sis, the most critical season. We are literally on the verge. We are, we are on the verge of entire cities being saved, entire nations being saved, where political figures all over the world are going to be born again of the water and of the spirit, where this multiplication of the kingdom is going to happen. And God wants to use everybody. And so we have got to pivot from this insecurity and this uncertainty and this and this lie of Satan to this deep consecration of the spirit where we go, I want to be ready. I don't want to be a spectator like the sons of the prophets watching this, this farmer get my goods. I mean, think of how crazy that is, the sons of the prophets watching this Elijah, Elisha show play out these guys who knew what was going to happen, when it was going to happen, how it was going to happen. And yet they weren't there when it happened. They were wallpaper to the greatest moment of the kingdom. God forbid that I be that or you be that. And so we've got we've to recognize this push of the enemy to make us irrelevant and say, nope, that's not happening to me. I'm going to consecrate myself. Every great thing in the kingdom is born out of consecration. It's going to cost you something. And so you got to intentionally say, nope, I'm not wallpaper. I am critical to the kingdom. If God knew Jeremiah, he knows me. If God could pick this farmer in a field to replace the prophet while the sons of the prophets watch, he picked me. If God could take, you know, this I mean, just think of every person in the word of God. Think of Peter for that matter. Uh, the guy, the guy lies, he cusses. He, I mean, he was a nobody, shouldn't have been the guy preaching on the day of Pentecost. And yet when God speaks to what some say were 500 people, when he said, go tarry in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high, he speaks to this crowd and tells them, you got to be there. One of the only people that he names by name is Peter. And oh, go tell Peter also. God picks this nobody from nowhere and puts him at the forefront of the greatest kingdom moment of all time. And Sister Ford, God's going to do the same for you. God has anointed you. He has called you. He has gifted you. He's given you this platform where you are sitting with, with heroes of the faith and giants in God's kingdom. And some things are caught and not taught. So you're in close proximity to kingdom anointing on a weekly basis in your podcast, not so that you can just let these voices be heard on the airways, but because God has this divine kingdom purpose for your life. And so he's, he's literally marinating you in kingdom power and kingdom gifting and kingdom anointing. Why? Because there's a kingdom, there's a Jeremiah kingdom purpose. Before you were formed in the womb, I knew thee. Before you came forth out of the womb, I ordained thee to be a prophet to the nation, Sister Ford. So God is marinating you in this incredible uh, just, just recipe of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers because you are not wallpaper. You are an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher that is anointed for kingdom purpose in the greatest hour of the church. You're not a facilitator of it. You are it. And so I rebuke the lies of Satan. I rebuke the attack on your mind. I rebuke the attack on your spirit. I rebuke the attack of the enemy that says, 
look, you're irrelevant. You're just teaching kids. You're just, you're just hosting a podcast. You're just, I rebuke every, every lie of Satan that makes you feel insecure and irrelevant in the greatest hour of the church. You were handpicked of God. You are the Esther of this generation. You're the Jeremiah of this generation. You're the Elijah, Elisha transference. You are a kingdom vessel of honor that has a great kingdom purpose. And you, how amazing that God's been marinating you in this kingdom soup. You've been marinated. You're not marinated just to host. You're marinated to do. And so you don't just talk about kingdom stuff. You do kingdom stuff. There's, there's those who talk. They're irrelevant. They're, they're irrelevant. The talkers are irrelevant. The wallpaper's irrelevant. It's the doers. The people that say, you know what? I don't want to just hear about this. I want my own testimonies. And they begin to consecrate themselves and pray prophetically that which is not as if it already is until they see it with their eyes and they go from faith to faith and moment to moment, breaking limb to breaking limb. I've never been stunned on this podcast <laughs> before. You said a lot and I don't, I, I'm, let me receive it. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's a whole lot. Um, I, why do you think the Lord gets so quiet in those like serious seasons? Is it because he, I don't know, like in my mind, I'm just kind of like, are you there? Are you listening? Did you hear what I said? Like, I know he does, but it's just like my brain, there's like a stop every time. I feel like I can't pray past yeah. this. And I just don't know why. I know the teacher's always quiet during the test and those kind of things are obvious, but it just seems almost isolating. And so I'm like, what lesson is to be learned through such a quiet season from the one I am like adamantly yeah. seeking a response from? Sure. What is that? Sure. Number one, everything great in the kingdom happens by faith. Everything happens by faith. You do not operate a single gift of the spirit, but by faith. Uh, the fivefold ministry operates by faith. Yes, it's imparted by the king, but it operates and flows fluidly by faith. So when you're talking about this, uh, you know, this, this development into the kingdom person God is calling you to be, it is a faith journey. It's a trust journey. And so you have got to make that pivot towards faith which is a pivot towards the trust of the word of God, a pivot away from natural sight to spiritual sight. And what do I mean by that? Meaning some of us have that makeup where we have to see it to believe it. But in the spiritual realm, you have to believe it to see it. So it's a completely opposite deal in the kingdom of God. So you have got to train yourself to see things spiritually before you possess them physically, okay? I tell people this all the time. When you begin to pray for what you want, you need to let God make you shift from naturalized to spiritualized, and you begin to visualize it. As you're praying prophetically, visualize the words coming out of your mouth. Let your spiritual man begin to see and celebrate that which is not before it's in your hands. So in prayer, you begin to have this, this faith moment where I'm saying what is happening, but it hasn't happened. And then I'm seeing what is happening, but I haven't seen it. And now I'm celebrating what I own that I have not yet possessed. And so I have these moments in hotel rooms where I'm walking back and forth like a caged animal. And I am declaring these things that are not as if they already are. And I'm seeing them. Even when we were just in El Salvador, I could see the crowd before the crowd was there. I could see the outpouring of the spirit before the outpouring of the spirit happened. And in my hotel room, I'm walking back and forth and I'm, I'm jumping up and down. I'm dancing in my hotel room, celebrating the outpouring of the spirit that we had not yet seen, but I could see it. And that's really where we have to get to the speaking that which is not as if it already is seeing that which is not as if it already is and celebrating that which is not as if it already is so that we can possess it. So you have the speaking, the seeing, 
and the celebrating. And when you make that transition in prayer, where you can do those three things, everything changes. Everything changes, but it's an intentional thing. And I tell people all the time, when you're in prayer, don't just get caught up asking, but get caught up prophesying. And don't just get caught up with that. Uh, I believe there is there are multiple uh, levels of tongues. Okay, I believe that. I believe that there is being filled with the spirit when that's that tongue that edifies you. The Bible says it's edifying to you when I pray in other tongues. It edifies me, which is why it's so important that you ought to pray in tongues all day long. I pray in the spirit all day. No matter where I am, I'm praying in other tongues. I'm edifying myself. But sometimes when I get into this prophetic prayer, I make this shift into a militant tongue where I begin to pray with authority and I begin to pray in a militant manner like I am in combat in the spirit. And when that happens, something something shifts and something changes. And there's, there's this certainty that we have crossed over from will this happen to it's happening right now. <laughs> I'm like still shocked. Okay. Okay. So what kind of advice would you give to someone who wants to make that change to more more of what you're talking about style of faith-based prayer and like mixing it with how they operate. Because for me, sometimes I get on these really amazing faith kicks and I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to buy this. And this proves God, look at me. I'm at the store buying this. This means that I've got faith. And, and then there are days where it's just kind of like that diet pill mentality where I was like, I didn't see results in 15 minutes. And so I'm just like, why did you forsake me? And so I don't know how to even it out. I get like on the super obsessive, like, this is what I want. This is what I'm praying for. This is what I'm going to get. Hallelujah. Amen. It's coming to pass. And then when it doesn't happen, I'm just kind of like, okay, Lord, that was just a complete waste. Sure. How do I even out those levels of thinking? Sure. Well, I think, uh, number one, let's go back to, to the reality. Everybody needs to make a list of the promises of God. If you don't know what they are, super simple, Google it. What are the promises of God? You know, in Google search engine or whatever. And you Google that and, and get yourself a list. Start reading through those promises. See what marinates in your spirit. Ooh, I want that. I want that. Yes, yes, make that happen for me. And I, I made a list of all of these things that I wanted from the promises of God. Copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. And then I began to pray them, not reading them, but praying them prop- prophetically. So when I read the word on a daily basis, I say, I prophesy these signs shall follow them that believe. I prophesy, I shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I prophesy. And so I'm going down these scriptures, praying them prophetically in a possessing them type of way, okay? Then the other thing is, it's it's like, um, to me, there's no substitute for exposure. When you're talking about wanting to go to the next level of faith, Yes, the key is those promises, understanding the word. Got to get the word in there because the word is the key. The faith faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of the Lord. So getting that word in your spirit, marinating in the promises, marinating in those things makes you begin to get a little pumped up in your spirit like a like somebody who's, you know, getting ready to go to war. I'm, I've got this, you know. And so um, then there's, there's no substitute for exposure. And I tell people this all the time. You want to get a a faith vitamin shot that's going to shoot you through the roof and get you on a a pathway to seeing greater things, go to a crusade. Go on a crusade. We do crusades all the time. We have team crusades all over the world, all over the time, all over the time, all of the time. And um, so we do these things. And in those, those meetings, where apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and these people that are are fluid in the gifts of the spirit are all in one room together. You know, uh, you have 70 people in a room and some things of the spirit are caught and some things can be taught. And so I think it's important for somebody who's wanting to take that next step in faith to be a part of something that is extraordinary, uh, where you see 20,000 people get the Holy Ghost at once, 
where you're a part of laying hands on the sick and they do recover. And so you have that opportunity where you have exposure to kingdom things, which produces kingdom desire for more. And you want to do it again and again and again. So get the word in you, get an exposure opportunity, be a part of something. My goodness, you're in one of the greatest positions, Sister Ford, to be a part of an exposure opportunity. You're a, a school teacher. You have summers off. Go on a crusade. Okay. Be present where God does something unprecedented so that all of a sudden your faith goes through the roof and you're like, man, I'm just hungry for more. What's the next big kingdom moment? And you take that and you bring it home locally. And now you're doing it locally and, and you're just recycling this, this faith diet that just gets bigger and you just get fat in faith. And you're just, you're just chowing on those faith Twinkies and you're yeah. just, man, you're just <laughs> growing leaps and bounds. And that's, that's what I would say to somebody, get in the word, get aware of the promises that belong to you. Start praying that prophetically look for a kingdom opportunity to be a part of something that, that gives you that faith shot. That is like a explosion. It's like a Z pack of faith. It's just massive, you know, penicillin of faith in your body all of a sudden. And then you, in order to possess the things that you get by exposure and by promise, you have to activate them on a regular basis, meaning that you look for kingdom opportunities and you just put God on the spot. Wherever you are, grocery store, the, the bank, the street corner, whatever, I don't know. You see somebody in need and you say, my goodness, here's a chance for me to get on a limb. Hey, I don't know you, you, you don't know me, but I'm going to pray for you right now and God's going to heal you. And you just give God a chance to prove it. And um, that's the best way to, to go from, from faith to faith and from level to level, anointing to anointing. And where you start seeing things on a regular basis that, that cause you to go, not only did God do it, but he's going to do it again and he's going to do it greater. Okay. So we're talking about radically apostolic, right? The book, which chapter of your book was the most difficult to write? Which one do you feel the least relatable to? Oh, I don't know about least relatable, but what I do feel most difficult to write was probably radical humility. When I wrote about humility, um, I had to revisit some very painful moments. Um, I don't know. I can't remember if this moment made the book or not. Um, when I wrote this book, there were actually 120 more pages and uh, you know, Brother Holmes read it, um, and then my pastor, Brother Raymond Woodward, read it, and then my dear friend, Brother um, uh, uh, Aaron Soto, read the book. And these three men became really the key to deciding content, where I submitted the book to them, and I said, kill what needs to be killed, let live what needs to live. Now, when you write a book, obviously it becomes your baby and you feel intimately connected to every word and you feel like every word is valuable. What I learned in the writing process is all of it was valuable for you to write, but not all of it is valuable for everyone to read. Some things would cause more kingdom damage than kingdom good because people can't understand some of those moments. How, how could that happen in the kingdom? And so there were stories and testimonies and experiences that, you know, my pastor and brother Aaron Soto and even brother Holmes said, brother Robinette, you just can't ever tell this story. It can never see the light of day because if people knew it, it would, it would hurt their heart and, and we can't hurt hearts. And, but, um, interesting uh, experience speaking of humility. And this is why this chapter was so hard to write because I had to revisit some things that were very painful. Um, over my journey in the European region, there were many moments of great pain where sister Robinette and I were just under brutal, um, just ruthless, uh, attack, the kind of attacks that should never be in the kingdom of God and things where people were feeling insecure and felt like, 
if Brother Robinette and Sister Robinette have kingdom success, it makes me look bad. And, and if I look bad, then I look like I've done nothing in the kingdom. And so there were emotional seasons. And so one of those seasons was in, um, I believe it was 2015, maybe. And I had just been reelected as the general superintendent of Germany, Austria, Liechtenstein, and Switzerland. And as is customary in our field, when you were reelected, you would preach the, the service that night. Um, the, and that evening, the Lord gave me a word. I had a word. I was ready to go kingdom vision to the moon. Let's go. We're going to do great things. And so I was, I walked to the pulpit that night to preach. And when I stood in the pulpit, God spoke to me and said, where I'm taking you, you cannot carry any baggage. You've got to leave all the baggage behind. He said, I want you to get a bucket of water and I want you to get a towel and I want you to wash your enemy's feet. And I'm standing there in the pulpit, the newly, uh, not newly, I'd been the superintendent for years, but um, I was re-elected as a superintendent, um, which the reason that was significant was because this person had done great damage attacking us and had tried desperately to get me unelected as a superintendent. And so they were standing on the front row and the Lord told me to wash this person's feet. And I'm thinking to myself, this dude is a dirt bag of dirt bags. This guy has sown discord amongst the brethren, which you hate God. You hate discord amongst the brethren. Um, I'm reminding you, this is one of the things you hate. And so I'm standing there negotiating with God this moment. And I'm like, I, I turn around. So I'm facing a crowd of UPC preachers that had just reelected me and Trinitarian pastors, about a hundred that had gathered to see this meeting because we were seeing this Trinitarian revival break out and, and they're here to see this. And now instead of me preaching, God wants me to wash this dirt bag's feet, you know? And so I'm looking at this moment and I turn around, I'm facing the back wall and I'm like arguing with God, reminding him, you hate discord, you hate rebellion, you hate, and this guy's the embodiment of it. He's done all this damage. He's been sowing discord, yada, yada. So I'm ha having this conversation with God. And God said, if you won't wash his feet, if you won't humble yourself, your journey in my kingdom ends now. The open door that is set before you has one single requirement. Drop your bags at the door. I turn around. And I speak to one of the young men and I said, brother, so-and-so go get me a bucket of water from the hotel kitchen and bring me a towel from the hotel. Now, all these people are watching me. So I walk to the front row, fall on my knees. I start washing this person's feet. And while I'm doing it, all of a sudden I go from making excuses to accepting responsibility, to repenting and getting my spirit right. I'm washing this man's feet. And here's what's amazing. In the midst of this moment of radical humility that makes no sense on paper, makes none on paper, it's it should be the other way. All of a sudden, the spirit of the Lord hits this room in Germany. Trinitarian pastors start falling out. The spirit overcomes them. They're... These men who had never seen anybody wash anyone's feet before start running to the kitchen, grabbing buckets of water from this hotel, and they're come back. They're washing feet. The Holy Ghost falls. God starts doing things that no sermon ever could have. Now, I wish I could say that that moment changed that man, but it didn't. But I can tell you that it changed this man. So in my moment of radical humility where I said, I know he's guilty, but so am I. I know I've got reasons, but they don't matter. 
the kingdom is all that matters. And to get through this open door, if I've got to get my heart right, my mind right, my spirit right, if I've got to accept responsibility and instead of turning myself into a recluse and getting in a corner, I've just got to get more consecrated. If that's what it costs me, if I've got to say, I'm the man to move this kingdom of God forward to where God is calling us, I'll do it. And so the hardest chapter to write was radical humility because I had this, the tapestry of our life has been woven with so much pain and so many moments where we just had to say, I know that I have a right to be angry, but I refuse. I know I have the right to be bitter, but I won't do it. I know that I could say it's them but I choose to say it's me. So the radical humility chapter, sometimes in the kingdom of God, for the sake of the kingdom, you have to take the hit so that the kingdom can move forward without baggage. Now I want to go chapter by chapter. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'll stop it there because I feel like we can talk until the wee hours and I don't want to do that. But anyway, thank you so much for being on the high podcast. Honor, a high honor. Thank you for inviting me. I feel humbled. I feel blessed. And it was a joy. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. That's all for this episode of Almost Apostolic. If you enjoyed yourself, please do us a favor and leave a review. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And until then, thank you for listening.